Good morning. Some of you may wonder who this dude is in front of you. Well, maybe you've eaten at one of my many restaurants. The Crocker Barrel. Oh, it's the Cracker Barrel. Never mind. Well, let's get serious now. Why are so many people afraid of God? You find this in pagan cultures. They're terrified of uh, an all-powerful being. Even in uh, different culture, Western culture, with the underpinnings of Christianity, people are still very afraid of God. They engage in acts of penance, hoping that by what they are doing, God may overlook their faults and be kindly disposed towards them. Some people believe that they have committed the unpardonable sin. And so they think there is no forgiveness for them. Based on what they did, they are hopeless. But you know, the people who have that fear within them are the very ones who can be forgiven. Those who fear that God wouldn't think of forgiving them are wonderful candidates for his forgiveness. Louis Burkhoff, a theologian, of, I guess he wrote maybe 80 years ago, well known, explained the unpardonable sin this way. He said, it consists of hatred against God and believing that God's grace in Jesus Christ is the work of the devil. It doesn't come from God. And so they discredit the Holy Spirit. They factor the Holy Spirit out. They blaspheme the Holy Spirit of God. So the unforgivable sin is not something that you did. It's not. The unforgivable sin is willfully and persistently claiming that the good news of God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit in this world is nothing but the work of Satan, the devil. I doubt there is anybody in this building today who really believes that. So if there's anybody here who fears you've committed the unpardonable sin, I feel confident in saying you haven't. God wants all people to be saved. The Apostle Peter made that very clear. That's God's will. He doesn't want to damn anybody for their sins. That's not why God made mankind. 
I love to quote uh, a German Jewish rabbi theologian on this. Yes, a Jew. He said, do not consider yourself as irredeemably sinning because God's will to forgive is greater than your ability to sin. Don't you love that? I love to hear an amen. It's like saying sick him to a dog. <laughs> Your sins are not greater than God's power. And God is eager to forgive. So confess your sins. And believe in Jesus Christ who came into this world and went to the cross to pay the price for your sins. And God promises to forgive you no matter what you have done. So let's go to an analysis of our text today on forgiveness from the lord's prayer maybe you recall the little line from uh, rudyard kipling he said i have six honest serving men they taught me all i know their names are what and why and when and how, and where, and who? Six interrogatives that help us in life. Well, we're only going to deal with five of them this morning. Uh, don't have time for the sixth one, although it's, we'll kind of weave it in. So, um, we'll deal with the first one. What? What is forgiveness? What is forgiveness from God and our forgiving of others? The meaning of that word, forgive, forgive us our sins, in the original text of scripture means to let go. Uh, it means to send away, to dismiss. That's what Divine forgiveness is. When I was a little guy, there was a song we used to sing in church, and I loved it. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Now my soul is free and in my heart's a song. Buried in the deepest sea. Yes, that's good enough for me. I shall live eternally, praise God. My sins are G-O-N-E, gone. I learned how to spell gone when we sing that. It's actually a children's song, but we sang it in big church as well. Um, I could sing it for you. I, 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 I sing like a bird, you know. <laughs> a duck. <laughs> When God our Father forgives us, our sins are no longer attached to us. Now, I happen to not like 
the words that are commonly stated when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Have you noticed when we get to that part, forgive us, there's kind of a jumbling sound. Some say debts and some say forgiveness, and it's like, what's that? Um, I don't like either of those terms. Um, Deaths and trespasses were Jewish idioms at that time. People understood when Jesus used the word debt, he was talking about sins. It was a common idiom. So I wish we would use the idiom. Uh, and some versions of scripture that are very Accurate do have idiomatic translations, so I think it's just because the other is so familiar that it kind of hangs on. But I particularly like Luke's rendering of the Lord's Prayer. In Luke chapter 11, did you notice there that Luke says, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And there he uses the idiom. Jesus' followers knew exactly what he was talking about when he used the word debts. He was talking about sin. Now, there is no sin. There is no stain that is too great for the cleansing power of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross for us. No way you can be so stained by sin that it's too much for the cleansing power of the cross. Many years ago, I was in a flight uh, to San Francisco from the Midwest, and um, the flight attendant was coming down the aisle with a tray of juices for people, and I was sitting on the aisle, and when she got beside me, uh, she tumbled a glass or a cup of tomato juice on my nice new white Burberry golf shirt. <laughs> I thought for sure it was ruined. She apologized profusely and said, I can fix that. <laughs> so she went off and came back with a wet towel and a bottle of club soda and told me to mop up as much of the tomato juice and then just keep dousing it with club soda. And she said, when we get to San Francisco, it'll be gone. I didn't believe her. I thought you're crazy. Uh, but she was right. When we landed at SFO, there was not even the slightest hint of a stain of red on my shirt. If you don't believe me, when you go home for lunch today, get a, find somebody who's wearing white around the table and, and do this. No, maybe you better not, but it'll work. God, our Heavenly Father's forgiveness is spiritual club soda to the infinite degree. When God forgives you, 
you never need to feel ashamed or guilty thinking that that stain is still there. It'll never go away because you remember it. That's wrong thinking. It's G-O-N-E, gone. That is forgiveness. When we say, forgive us our sins, that's how God forgives us. It's gone. But you know, the apostle Peter warned Christians, God's children, to be on their guard because he said the devil goes around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. So we must resist him standing firm in the faith. So you're forgiven as a child of God. It is the ultimate folly to take sin lightly and think that it, uh, it won't inflict any damage on you. It's foolish. It's like a guy jumping from the top of a very tall building. And as he plummets past the third floor, he is heard to say, so far, so good. <laughs> it's, it's as foolish as that. You can get away with sin for a while as a child of God, but uh, it catches up with you. Now, the devil can make a mess of our lives. He can't make us guilty before God, but he sure can make a mess of our lives. And he will never possess our souls as the children of God. Our souls belong to our Father in heaven. We are his children for eternity. And nobody can take that away. So um, I better move on to the second interrogative. And by the way, that's the longest one, so don't be looking at your watch thinking we've got f four more of these. Uh, no, these are a little bit shorter. The second one is, who needs forgiveness? I have heard some Christians say, and they mean it with all their heart, that Christians do not need to ask for forgiveness. They're not guilty before God, based on Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That means they're not guilty. Their sins are gone. So they never need to ask for forgiveness. Now, I think much of that is true. But the last part is a pile of poppycock. It's not true. Christians do sin. The Apostle John, in writing to Christians, God's children, said this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, this bothered me for a long time. 
Yeah, I, I struggled with this concept of as a child of God, but sinning. And I feared that if I sinned as a Christian, and I did a lot, um, did that mean God would condemn me to hell if I didn't repent and, and went to sleep and died in my sleep? It used to scare the bejeebers out of me as a young man. Well, Wayne Grudem, in his systematic theology, explains this so beautifully. Listen closely to this. You need this. I need this. He explained that when God's children pray for forgiveness, they are not praying to God as the judge. They're not praying to the God, God who is the judge who will for, uh, condemn them. No, they're praying to God, their father, to whom they belong. You notice the prayer is, our father in heaven, forgive us. Jesus didn't teach his disciples, those listening to him, as he gave this prayer. He didn't teach them to say, our judge who art in heaven, but our father who art in heaven. So this part of the prayer is to restore the fellowship with our loving father in heaven whom we have dishonored by our sin. And so forgiveness is the distinctive mark of Christians. It's embossed upon our souls, the letters, forgiven. And when the devil looks at us, that's what he sees. Oh, forgiven. But still, the devil does his utmost to cause us to sin and thus to dishonor God our Father. That's his strategy. The third one. How did sin enter the world? We read in Genesis chapter 1, that in the various acts of creation, God pronounced each one good. He said, it's good. He saw that it was good. All the way through to the creation of mankind. It was good. In the beginning, our original parents, our proto-parents, were perfect utterly perfect. So what happened to make it not good? Sin came into the world through the first couple. The apostle Paul explained in Romans chapter 5, sin entered the world through one man, 
and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. When God cast Satan, the archangel, out of heaven, the devil was powerless to pervert the perfect human beings that God had created. He had no power to do it. God created people to be like him, his children, in his image and likeness. And only humankind, of all God's earthly creation, only people were enfranchised by God with the power to make moral choices. In the Garden of Eden, the first couple choose to believe the devil's deceitful campaign rhetoric rather than obey God's righteous rule. And the only way the devil could gain legit, <coughs> excuse me, legitimate residency and authority in this world was through mankind as the portal. His power came through people whom he deceived. The first humans voted the devil into office. And that's how the devil entered and gained control of God's creation. The Apostle John says, we know that we're children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one or the whole world lies in evil. That's how it happened. Paul wrote, for as by one man's disobedience, that's Adam's, he, uh, God the Father, saw that many were made sinners. And so, by one man's obedience, and that is Jesus Christ, also called the second Adam, the many will be made righteous. So, mankind was the portal through which evil came into the world. Jesus came into the world to eradicate the power of sin from the lives of God's children. Paul explained, he, that is God the Father, has delivered us from the domain, the dominion of darkness, where Satan has control. God has delivered us from that and transferred us into the kingdom of his Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. So that's why we appeal to people all over the world. That's why we pray for missionaries who go overseas and those who serve right here in Indianapolis. We pray that uh, people will place their trust in Jesus Christ and that they will allow God to break the power of evil 
that has taken them captive. That is the gospel of God. That's what we proclaim. In Jesus Christ, we are set free. And people need to know that. So this is why we, in turn, forgive other people. We forgive them because we have been forgiven. There is a Japanese proverb that says, forgiving the unrepentant is like drawing pictures on water. That's not what God says. On the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So forgiveness is unconditional. It's not based upon whether the person comes crawling to us and asking for forgiveness. Now the fourth one. Why do God's children sin and need forgiveness? Well, we've seen the Apostle Peter said God's children are vulnerable. We have a nasty enemy who is the devil. And he bombards us constantly with temptations to lure us away from God's will. So, Peter warned believers to be on guard. You know, a sin that we think is just a minor little peccadillo, something that we can play with, that little sin, if we play with it, can become a huge monster that devastates us. In Africa, my dad bought a prize bull, a registered bull, and, uh, and brought it to the little farmette we had. Well, this bull was a cute little fellow. He was tiny when we got him. And uh, he loved to play with us. And uh, we'd spar with him. We'd get a hold of his little stubby horns and, and play with him. But uh, that bull grew up and uh, he became very dangerous. He became an aggressive animal. The servants were terrified of him. My dad was the only person that he allowed into the field that was his domain. And even then my dad had to be very careful. Sin can be just like that, you know. It seems harmless at first, and we indulge ourselves in it, but it grows to be a menace in our lives. If we are careless in, in the devil's domain where we live, the world is under the control. If we're careless, we get mauled. So we have to be on our guard, as we're told, as God's children. There's something else about the why of forgiveness. Why we forgive. 
First, no one has ever sinned against me. Nearly, not nearly as much as I have sinned against my Father in heaven. And he forgave me. So how dare I withhold forgiveness from someone else? Another thing um, that we need to recognize is that uh, people change. The person you may be holding a grudge against for something that was done years ago isn't the same person anymore. Oh, it's possible the person's gotten worse. But um, if that person is a child of God, a believer, you're hoping that maturity has taken place. Some people in my past who said mean and nasty things about me years ago, I now hear that they're speaking of me to others as if I were Billy Graham's spiritual mentor. <laughs> Our father is always working in his children's lives by the Holy Spirit. God works miracles in people's attitudes. And I think I need miracles in my life maybe more than most. One more. Where is the sin from which we need forgiveness? Where is it located? Yeah, I grew up in a very restrictive church environment, quite legalistic. I mean, movie theaters were places of the devil, of sin, regardless of what was showing. And if you went to a dance, your salvation was in jeopardy. My oldest sister once scandalized the whole church by showing up with some red lipstick on. How could she do that? Well, that was about 100 years ago, and I don't believe that Tommy wrought anymore, thank the Lord. But I'm still not into dancing, I have to tell you that. But I've learned I can do it. I've been to so many weddings where people stand and they don't even move their feet. Have you seen that? They just stand there. It's like I'm looking, when are you going to dance? But they just hold on to one another and it's a standing embrace. That's all. I can dance like that. <laughs> so where is sin located today? Is it in a meth lab? Is, um, is it in a pornographic bookstore? Is that where we find sin today? Is it uh, in the halls of government? In the Garden of Eden, did Adam and Eve sin because the fruit of the forbidden tree was sinful? That was sinful fruit, and so God kept them away from it. No, 
Not at all. What did Jesus say? He said, <clears throat> he said, nothing outside a person can defile a person. He said, for it is from within. Out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. Gives a biblical definition of where sin resides. It's in people. It's in us. Not in something out there. Of course, that doesn't mean we just willy-nilly go and indulge ourselves in these practices. If we do, that shows something's wrong inside. So we cannot excuse sin by blaming something out there or someone else out there, we cannot excuse sin and say, it wasn't me, it was that. It was that person. It comes from in here. That's why we need to be cleansed of all our sins. And that's why God's children must pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you see each one of us, and if we have placed our trust in Jesus, whom you sent to bear the punishment and the penalty for our sins, we thank you for the confidence that we have that there is absolutely nothing that can draw, destroy our special place with you. Thank you for this confidence that we can have. In Jesus' name, amen.